0: Welcome to Ask the Educator, a podcast brought to you by Healthmark Industries. Are you a sterile processing technician or manager? Maybe you work in infection prevention or biomedical engineering. Whether you're a frontline tech, endoscopy tech, OR nurse, or surgical services administrator, you undoubtedly have influence in medical device processing at your facility. In each episode, we speak with experts from the Healthmark Clinical Affairs team industry leaders, or special guests from the trenches to answer your questions and bring you relevant industry information, equipping you for excellence in medical device processing. My name is Kevin Anderson, and I will be your host. Now let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Ask the Educator podcast. This is Kevin Anderson, your host. Joining me, as usual, I have Adam Okada from Healthmark. And One of the OGs of the podcast I have back is Stephen Kovac. Uh, Thank you, Steve, for joining us. This is going to be kind of a special episode. We have a couple returning guests with us uh, from way back when we first started this thing, uh, which is going to be really exciting. And we're going to tackle some great topics here uh, about education and certification. So, Steve, if you wouldn't mind, just go ahead and introduce our guests for us, okay?
1: Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Um, And I want to thank both you and Adam for allowing this topic to come about. For those who don't know, it was going to be, it'll be 20 years this June that New Jersey set the table for our profession to bring about certification and make it mandatory within a state. And I have always felt that there were three key people and others in New Jersey to bring this about. And I had hoped that now, 20 years later, we would have all 50 states and we're not there. And so I want to uh, introduce the people I have here. And then we're just going to open it up and talk about our future and uh, go from there. One is, she's a dear friend of mine. I've known her for over 30 years, Miss Nancy Chobin. Another one is Mr. Tony Monaco, that I just think um, is the godfather of certification for us without Tony and without Nancy and without our friend, Ian Cofield, who passed away. And I think the New Jersey chapters, I think Al Spath, who isn't on this, was a president at the time. They worked very hard. And I think we need to know the story and understand the path they took. Then I got my dear friend, Don Gordon, who was president of Isham in Long Island chapter? Who was very instrumental in helping, along with many others, Mary Oliver and a whole bunch of other people, and even Chuck Hughes getting buses to go to New York and Albany to bring about certification. We're going to have an honest discussion about where we're at now and how do we get back on track. So, thank you for joining us, and let's have a great discussion. And uh, Kevin, it's up to you and Adam to lead us down this path.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, thanks for introducing everybody, uh, Steve. uh, And it's great to have everybody. So as you mentioned, uh, New Jersey became the first state to require certification. Now it's 20 years ago, uh, which is uh, pretty mind-blowing, actually, how much time has gone by already. Uh, But speaking on that, like, why is it that other states have not used the New Jersey blueprint to get certification passed through legislature. You know, uh, there's some other States that have gotten certification required, uh, but also allow to grandfather staff in. So it's one of those things where we got to think like, uh, you know, is it good for the profession? Is it better than what there currently is in so many other States where it isn't required, but you know, it's, it's kind of a big question, but if we could, we could maybe start with Tony and, and, Uh, see what your thoughts are, Tony, and then kind of go on down the line with Nancy and Don as well.
2: I'd like to start that New Jersey is probably different than most uh, states in the country. And that we have our own regulatory program. We have our own inspectors, we have our own licensing standards, uh, and we enforce them. I had before I even took over this program, I had nine years of experience in inspecting acute care facilities. And then when I was asked to take over the program, I walked in, I had two strong central associations, I had two strong infection control st- uh, organizations, I had a housekeeping association, I had a, a a facility management association that were all proactive with education. And to, mer- to get all these outliers working together was important when I came in. And uh, I think it's important that you understand what a a regulation, how a regulation is adopted. First, a draft is developed and then it's brought out. I I brought it out to my inspectors because I had wonderful inspectors. I had a wonderful support team in the division of epidemiology and healthcare evaluations, and, and they helped as well. Uh, so we developed the uh, first draft when we brought in the industry, we brought in the Hospital Association, the Ambulatory Association, central's Association, we had APIC in there, and we all worked together on developing the standards, okay, and then once you develop the draft, that's not the end of it, okay. I had to go within the department to the two different divisions, the Division of Epidemiology and the Division of Healthcare Facilities Inspection and Licensing. And I had to get that those drafts past them. Once it, it was approved by them, it went to the Healthcare Advisory Board, which was a group of doctors and lawyers that overs- were independent from the department that oversaw our regulations. And I had to sell it to them. Once I did that, I had to go to OAL, which is the Office of Administrative Law, and they had to go through it with a fine tooth comb to make sure that each regulation met the standard of an enforceable document. Uh, So they made a clean change of it. Once they approved that, it went for public review. It went out for a 60-day public review to the public to submit comments to the department. Plus, there was a public hearing in which I actually ran that public hearing, and I was not allowed to speak during that that, uh, public hearing. I was there just to listen. We had a court reporter that documented every word that was said in that public hearing. When I got back to my office, I got all... After the 60 days, I got the transcripts from the public meeting and all written comments received over that 60-day period, and I had to respond to each one of them and write a response to each one of them. And if I made one substantial change, I could make clarification changes, but if I made one substantial change in that document, it has to go back and go through the whole process again, all right? So once you get it approved, after the 60 days, and then once you get that finally approved, uh, they give an active date to it, all right? So that gives me a little bit of time to work with my my inspectors because the job is not done. You have to train your staff on every document that's in there. And then you have to do a dog and pony show across the state to get compliance to those standards. You want the industry to understand those standards. So that's a tremendous amount of work. It actually took me over two and a half years from the beginning
0: to the end. Wow, Tony, I'm starting to I'm starting to understand why maybe it's been 20 years and uh not a whole lot of other states have joined to this group of certification requirements. Uh that's that's a very impressive workload. It is
2: it is, it is a workload. And most states don't do this because of that. And what they do is that they may have licensing standards. They might have certificate of need. They're going to go out and do complaints in the industry. They're, they're going to review new plans for new construction and new facilities, that type of thing. But as far as the regulatory component, they're going out to the accreditation agencies. They give that responsibility of the accreditation agencies. So to be honest with you, a lot of state health departments do not have, I look at the expertise. I had Nancy Tobin with me. I had so many good central supply directors and technicians in my state that were very proactive on this issue. It made my job a lot easier, even though it is a tough path to go. But if the state doesn't have that, if they don't have strong central associations to sell it to to the regulatory officials, it's going to be a hard, a hard task to to accomplish.
1: Uh, Can I ask both you and Nancy real quick? I know Don's going to come in later on what happened in New York. How did you get the backing of like senators or representatives to or did you need somebody to sponsor the bill, or because the path that you no. took, you didn't need them to sponsor it, right? We, we
2: didn't need it because uh, the legislature gave us the authority to promulgate regulations. Ah. Okay? We didn't have to go to the legislature for it. We had the authority to do it right from the get go. Really? In New New York, you talk to Don about it. New York had state standards. In fact, they had an inspection program when I started uh, many many years ago. But uh, they went the um, accreditation route as well and got rid of their inspection group. So what they had in New York was a, a group in the state health department that really didn't know central supply.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I want to get to New York in a little bit, Don. I want to bring uh, Nancy in because um, you and Tony and, and and the others, you made sure you gave people X amount of years, I forget what it was, to get certification or you couldn't practice. How did you go about selling that, Nancy, that... Um, you know, there were people who maybe lost their jobs if they didn't get it. I can't remember. Was it three years or five years? Five, I five years. Five, that's five. a lot of time for people to get yeah. it. Could you comment on that, Nancy?
3: Yeah, I, I believe that that was something that the New Jersey Hospital Association was concerned uh, and Kirkie, from if I'm wrong, Tony, they supported the bill, but they were concerned about a mass exodus of sterile processing people unless there was sufficient time to get people to not only study, but as you know, some people are not good test takers. So what if they fail the first time around? Are they going to lose their job right away? So the five years uh, was what they came up with. And Um, You know, we we just agreed with it as an organization and as a group working on this because we felt it was that important. And I think people have to recognize when they're going to do something like this, you have to have the infrastructure to do it. And this was one of our concerns. Did we have enough instructors? Mm -hmm. Mm Because you can learn this self-study. But a lot of these people, this was a lot of new information for them, and to have it face to face, to have an instructor who could teach it and and demonstrate and do things like that was which was important. So uh, we made sure that we had that. Uh, between the two organizations, Instruments and uh, the New Jersey uh, Healthcare Central Service Group, that we had enough programs. Uh, I remember Tammy Mareska and I teaching uh, classes with 90 people at Kane University uh, because you know people wanted to make sure they had their education so they could sit for the exam. So I think that was a win-win. But I'll tell you, in my own system, we had people waited until the last minute they took the exam, they failed, and they lost their job. Wow. Now, in our system, they were offered another job, but it might have been in another department at less pay. Wow.
2: I had, in all the years, I only had two people that were brought to my attention by by uh, central uh, uh, directors, and those two people had language problems. And the central directors were um, very supportive of these two staff. And in different hospitals, and um, they had a skill set, but they didn't have the language to uh, pass the exams. That's what was put to me. And they asked me for a waiver, Mm. and I I couldn't give a waiver. I didn't have the authority to waive a state standard. So as Nancy said, those employees were transferred to different – one was uh, transferred to um, transport which didn't involve the processing
3: right but but we went through great we started 2 years ahead of the deadline sending letters to everybody in the department sending them when it got closer to the date 6 6 weeks 6 months before they were sent a registered letter they were given another letter in the department hand delivered to them by the manager 3 months before 2 months before and these people just decided that, you know, for one reason or another, oh, I'm just going to wait till the end. And I, there was no language barrier here. It was just procrastination. And unfortunately, it came back to bite them. We lost six people in our system.
1: Mm. So, Don, I'm going to say uh, something here to bring you in. And later on, I Adam, I've talked to him earlier. He knows a lot what happened in California, why it didn't happen. But, you know, I do believe that certification should be uh, required, regardless if you've been in one day or or 20 years, I think the basic certification sends a message that you have a general understanding uh, what you need to do in the department. I think it projects a level of professional ability for me uh, and it helps formalize your knowledge. I'm not saying that somebody who's not certified does not know the basics and in fact, I know many staff, who are not certified, who know more than people who do get certification, but just grandfathering in um, to me has been amazing. And Don, why don't you share a little of what went on in New York? Because Tony has really told us that you really have to know your state and how they function and to work with so many different people. And because they had the law behind it. They didn't have to go out and get somebody to sponsor bills. And that's what I think you had to do in New York, correct? Exactly. You're correct.
4: I just want to give a brief history on how we started. We The first time, the Long Island Association was the one that really spearheaded the um, uh, the mandatory certification in New York. And what happened was we were at a meeting. We were at an initial meeting in St. Louis where Tony spoke. We were all inspired by him. We became friends. Ann Cofield introduced us to Tony. We we stayed with him during St. Louis to make him feel comfortable and everything. And we were so inspired by what Tony did that we wanted to do it in New York. Back then, there were two uh, national associations, and there were the the local associations for upstate, which was from the American Society, and the the uh, downstate New York and Long Island were from Isham. So what we had to do is we had to try to get everyone together on the same wavelength. So the day before nine eleven, I remember we scheduled a meeting. We, there was a conference up in. Uh, near uh, Binghamton that we went to. And all the leaders in those associations in New York, I think there were five then, got together the day before 9-11. I'll never forget it. And we all said that uh, we were going to go ahead. We were all inspired by having mandatory certification. We thought we needed it. And um, we decided to uh, form a New York State Association, even though the They were made up of two different groups, one from uh, the American and one from Misham. We got together and we formed our own New York State Association. Chuck Hughes, like you mentioned before, sponsored all the expenses for the meeting and helped arrange a meeting in Albany in which we we got together. And we were going to put through a bylaws for the association. I thought it was going to take a long time, but we got it done. Um, we wrote the bylaws, and we became a New York association. Then we had to develop a way of trying to get it. We didn't have anyone in the, in the uh, State Board of Health, so we knew we had to go through the l- legislature.
1: So you didn't have a Tony?
4: We didn't have a Tony.
1: We had, you didn't have a Tony. Okay. We, that was the
4: main thing, and that's why it took us 10 years before we actually got mandatory certification in New York And we would go up every year to Albany. We would take in the beginning um, local assemblymen and state senators that we knew and set up meetings and hope to get their interest. We'll make a long story short. One of the uh, board of directors up in Syracuse, I think it was the Syracuse area uh, that was on our board of directors in New York State. Her brother became uh, a state senator and he sponsored a bill. But the big change happened when we Isham supported us with hiring a lawyer to work with us on getting these bills through. I can't remember her name now. With her help, we started talking to this gentleman, uh, the state senator and others. And we kept on going up there every year. We would go up and visit and talk to people. And
1: didn't Tony come up one year with you guys on a bus or something? I'm Tony? pretty sure he did. Tony, yes, you I did. Didn't don't. you, Tony? Yes, I did. And, and you were with yep. technicians in the room or or whatever? Because, Don, what, what seems to be going on is New Jersey blueprint couldn't be followed in New York. So you tried to find another way. And... That other way was you had to compromise and put in this grandfather clause, correct?
4: Exactly. The compromise was because we had certain um we had the AORN nurses and the unions that were opposed to it. Or I wouldn't say opposed, but were cautious about us doing this. And because of that, we had to uh make them part of the uh getting them on board in order to get this legislation through. It, uh, the unions were very, very powerful, um, in New York. And the reason for that is most of the people working in sterile processing then had very poor reading skills. They actually, uh, had people who would come into the hospitals, especially in the New York city and, uh, Uh, Long Island area and do a reading course for the staff so they could develop reading skills so they could actually read the test. Mm. They had the skills to put instruments and trays together and the knowledge of that, but they couldn't pass a test
1: because
4: they couldn't read. They couldn't read questions. They had like a third or fourth degree reading uh, level. And So,
1: So, I mean, that is a whole different issue, too.
4: Well, that was an issue then.
1: Yeah, um, yeah.
4: That's why it took so long for us to get it through. And that was another reason for the grandfather clause, that most of us didn't want the grandfather clause. But when we saw that, we would probably lose half the profession in the New York City area because they couldn't read and they couldn't take a test. We had to give them time to train and learn the test and learn, you know, how to take a test. So it was a it was something that we had to give in to the unions and also the AOR and association.
1: But anybody after that date has to be certified. Exactly. They were just grandfathered it was, in. It
4: was a ten. It was a ten year grandfather, and I know you were certainly opposed to it. We, you and I had many discussions on it but yes, we did We had a, we had no choice. We were looking more towards the future of sterile processing instead of the immediate we, we, we didn't want to shoot ourselves in the foot. So we were we were kind of okay. forced to do that.
1: I I, I want to go quickly to Adam and then bring this back to bring Nancy and Tony in Adam, would you mind telling us a, a synopsis of what you were involved in in California? and then how it failed or why it failed. Do you mind doing that for a few minutes there, Adam? Because we're going to then have three different things that took place and then talk about how do we get people back on to maybe the New Jersey blueprint, because I think that still is the best blueprint. Adam, would you
5: mind? Yeah. So I wasn't really a part of the group that was doing the certification at the state level, but I did write letters to the congressman. Uh, I was told by the the association and uh, which is now HSPA to send some letters to certain people. So that's what I did. And then afterwards, when I kind of followed up and I was asking what happened at the hearing, because that was why we were sending those letters. We wanted them to vote yes on that bill. Uh, we were told that there was a doctor group and I'm not going to mention the name of the group here, but there was a doctor group who had lobbied and paid millions of dollars to a lot of the people that were voting to vote it down because they didn't want to pay their technicians a dollar or $2 more per hour for certification. So they spent millions to vote this down, which would have been way more expensive than just paying their guys a dollar or two more. (laughs) I don't
1: know if people can see this, if we're doing the video, but you just got both Nancy and Tony moving in their seats. So um, that, that is very interesting. So, Let's go to you, Nancy, and then see if Kevin has some questions. But Nancy, how how do we really get these other states? I think again, what you and Tony and everybody else, and and you're the, the two sort of representing here. How do we address this to get cert- to get other states to not grandfather, but be inclusive and get people to push towards certification. You know, we've got a couple examples from Don and and what little Adam knows. How do we go about this? What do do you think we need to do?
3: You need people who are passionate about it, who really believe in it and are willing to put the work into it. Um, I won't mention the state, but a colleague of mine, their state tried very hard to get certification. um, And they were told, you know, well, if you hire a lobbyist, we can help you get it through. Uh, the legislator. Well, the lobbyists wanted a minimum of $30,000 and and couldn't even guarantee anything. Where are these groups supposed to get that kind of money? Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to find someone in your, whatever your rule of thumb is, you know, if you have a legislature or what have you, you have to do your homework and find out where to start. You have to have someone who's going to have the clout to support this agenda. Then you have to provide the expertise, why it's needed. I know when when I was looking at certification here in New Jersey and we met with uh, the Center for Professional Achievement, when I went to them and told them what we were doing, you know what they said? Why are you just looking for certification? You people should be licensed.
1: Oh, oh, let's not go license certification, but wow. But I'm
3: saying, you know, they got it. So, you know, you've got to present the information. I just have trouble understanding why anybody wouldn't consider this the utmost in patient safety, especially today when we have instruments that defy cleaning in many cases. But you've got to have the people who are passionate. You've got to have the people willing to put the work in. And then you've got to have a support system outside of sterile processing who's going to help you achieve your agenda. Yeah. And each state is going to be different.
1: You know, and then I do not want to downplay the other states that have got certification. They figured it out and they felt it was important for their state. And I have to commend them. But if there's only five or six states, we've got 40, 45 more that we need to help them figure out what to do. And Tony, you've heard some examples what advice do you give to people to really start it back up? Because we're 20 years and we should have done a lot more. And what I feel, what are your thoughts, real quick?
2: Uh, I think if you go the legislative r- r- route, I'll never see certification become a national standard in, in the United States. I'll be dead mm. and buried. Or if <laughs> I'm still, if I'm still alive, I won't even know who you guys are. To be honest. <laughs> yeah.
1: um,
2: So I I don't think the legend. I think we have to really examine what we're doing and maybe take a different approach. Maybe it has to come within in in the central service groups themselves, on the local level and on the national level. We need to accept certification and mandate it within our hospitals.
1: And we see that. uh
2: I think that's the fastest route. I, I I really
4: agree. With both what Tony is saying and what Nancy is saying. The problem is, and Nancy identified, it we don't have, I don't see the passion in the profession like I saw years ago. It's not there. Yeah. It's not there on the local level. I don't think it's even there on the national level. I think that um um the passion is gone. They don't have the leaders that they had then that were really gung-ho about their profession. I mean it's just, it's just terrible that um, so many chapters have closed down. So many associations, local associations, are gone. The Long Island Association is now ending its long history in the field because we can't get anyone to take over from the people who started it and ran the association for many years. All of us are retired now, and we're trying to keep it afloat, and we can't do it. No matter how we try to recruit people, no one is interested in, in giving up their personal time, mm. for the profession, and that's where the that's where the problem lies. Mm. And in some instances, I blame the national association for not making this one of their big priorities. They've mm. people who are now leaders there. I, I feel have. Uh, have deserted that cause.
1: I want to bring something in and I want Kevin and Adam and then Nancy, it is going to spark something in you. Um, We go into a lot of hospitals just like you and Tony, I know you're still doing some consulting. It seems to me hospitals are using either career ladders or they're requiring certification to hire people regardless. Kevin and Adam, you've been in a lot of hospitals and we do these audits and we look at stuff. Do you see that's the route that hospitals mm-hmm. are now saying you've got to be certified? What What are your thoughts real quick?
0: That's generally what I'm seeing uh, across the board is that the hospitals themselves have seen the value and, and having, Uh, Certified technicians, and then they just put it into their hospital policy and HR policies that, hey, you know, uh, we value certification here. And the expectation is you can come in and you can start working, but, you know, within a year, uh, some of them I've heard even within six months are requiring certification. Now, that's that's probably common i would say in the majority of you know the metropolitan areas and things like that i can't say that that's probably the case uh for the the rural areas uh the places that are maybe a little bit more resource strapped which makes sense and it actually it kind of goes back to Don's point with with New the state of New York. I mean, they had some unique circumstances there and and I happen to agree with you, Steve. like I mean I don't I, I don't like the grandfather thing, but it also allowed for them to actually make a meaningful change there in their state. So I do I understand both sides of that. and, and I think that that's kind of what the hospitals are up against too. They need to, you know, push for quality, choir, you know, certification is where they're kind of putting it. And that's in lieu of having state legislature, uh, which is which is a good thing. But you know, eventually, it'd be nice to get to where do we go from here? You know, uh, which is the idea with this podcast. And I, there is some ideas, you know, that I've shared in, on this podcast and in other platforms. But I won't get to that yet because I want to hear from from other people too. But I think that that is a very common way for hospitals to address it. I know that was. How it was in my facility. Uh, I know some places have even more sophisticated career ladders, which is phenomenal. I wish that was more the norm uh, at this point. You know, there should be some credit for people who get those multiple certifications. There should be all of this other uh, these other options going on uh, given the the growth of this industry and the changes and the evolution that have taken place over the last twenty years. Unfortunately, that's not necessarily common, but at least the, the requirement for certification, that's what I've been seeing. How about you, Adam?
5: Well, you know, I think this conversation is amazing. So I, I hate to cut it off right here, but we are at time. Oh, So what we're going to do is we're going to have part one of this and we're going to come back for a part two. So it's great conversation. We're going to keep it going in part two. So come back for that. Uh,
1: can I, I wait, wait, before you shut this off, Adam. OK, go ahead, Don.
4: I wanted to say that that career ladder program worked for me at Hospital for Special Surgery. I developed one, where and the the, the good thing for me is I didn't have a union. So the unions can sometimes uh, hurt you and sometimes help you. I didn't have a union, so I got it through human resources. And for every certification, they received a five hundred dollar increase in their pay. So if they had three certifications, they got that. They I also had levels. And if you had uh, a leadership um, certification, you were able to become a lead tech or a supervisor. Without that, you wouldn't be able to get that. So that was a good point about the career ladder program. That works in most hospitals.
5: Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you to Nancy Coven, Tony Monaco, Don Gordon. And we'll be back for part two. So stay tuned for that.
0: All opinions expressed on this show are those of the presenters. Before using any medical device, it is important to review the device manufacturer's instructions for use.